Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So we all want to be productive. We want to do more in less time so we can spend more time doing the things we actually want to do. So we read the you know, the posts about being productive, read the books on productivity, have the best of intentions, but we find ourselves just spinning our wheels. Or, you know, worst is you, you can't muster the self-motivation, actually do the things you know you should be doing. If that describes you, you're going to love this podcast. Uh, today on the show, my guest is Charles Duhigg. We've had him on the show before to talk about his book, The Power of Habit. He's got a new book out called Smarter, Faster, Better, The Secrets of Being Productive in Life and Business. And Charles has spent years doing research about the science of productivity and finding out what science, actual research says, and what we could do to be more productive instead of just relying on these platitudes that uh, you often see in the self-help world. Great podcast today. We get into the nitty gritty about the science of self motivation uh, and why being a self starter is such an important skill to have uh, in today's economy. We talk about how to set more effective goals and how to use to do list more effectively so you're not just checking things off and not actually getting things done. Great podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes after you listen because uh, we have a lot of links to resources that you can delve deeper into the topics. Uh, you can find that at aom.is slash doohig and that's spelled D-U-H-I-G-G. And as always, if you enjoy the show, I'd appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Charles Duhigg, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. So we had you on uh, last year, or a few, maybe a few years ago, about your book, The Power of Habit. Uh, you got a new book out called Smarter, uh, Faster, Better. It's all about being productive in life and in business. I'm curious, is this book a continuation of the work you did in The Power of Habit, or is it something completely different? So I, I think it's fairly different, but it builds a little bit on on the power of habit. So, and if the power of habit was about how people can program the automatic behaviors in their lives, this this forty to forty five percent of our day that's that are that are not actually decisions, but are about sort of doing things automatically, this book, Smarter, Faster, Better, is about the other. 50 to 55 to 60% of our day where we're actually making decisions. And it's about how do we make the right decisions to be as productive as possible? And because productivity is a 
uh, a hard word. It's a kind of a mysterious word. Let me go ahead and define exactly what it is. Productivity isn't necessarily about turning out widgets faster or about getting to inbox zero. What it's really about is it's about helping people understand how their own brain works well enough to to empower them to do to get as close to their goals as possible with the least amount of stress and strife and waste. So in so productivity might change from day to day. It might be that a Wednesday morning is you define productivity as getting to your office as early as possible and dropping off the kids at school so you can power through that memo that you want to write. But a, a productive Friday morning might be the opposite, where you have time to walk your kids to school and not not have to think about work so that you can actually talk to them and learn about their lives. In both cases, though, what we're trying to do is we're trying to empower people so that they are in control. They understand what their goal is. They understand what their priorities are, and they know how to get as close as possible to that goal without having to make unbearable sacrifices, without having to work nonstop, without being stressed out about all the other things in their lives. But it seems that most people approach productivity as the way is cranking as many widgets out as possible. They want to get as many of their to-dos list off. Uh, they, they, they think productivity is like you're busy all the time. You're just doing a lot of things, but you're saying that that's actually not being productive. Well, no. I mean, I think that everyone knows that it's not productive to, to, to run after the wrong goal line, right? If, if you want to pump out widgets, if that's your life's desire, then getting faster at that is fantastic. And for some people, that's exactly what they want to do, right? If you're, if you're in sales, learning how to close that sales loop faster and faster, that is productivity. But but if you're an artist, if you're an engineer, if you're a scientist, if you're a writer, then it might be that much of what you want to do is not doing things faster, but instead doing it smarter, trying to figure out how do I get to that perfect paragraph? How do I have five experiments that fail so that I get closer to the experiment that works? That's that's kind of the underlying principle is that the most productive people are actually the ones who are most successful at identifying their their deepest, most important goals and then understanding how to structure their life so as to get to that goal. So what I love about smarter, faster, better is just like you did in The Power of Habit, like you don't just – a lot of you know productivity books, self-help books, they get sort of these platitudes that we've all heard before. What I love about your books is that you get into research, nitty-gritty research uh, in psychology, neuroscience to show what we can do to actually be more productive. And I thought it was interesting you start off the book talking about motivation, particularly self-motivation, um, which makes sense because like I think – People are really good at creating lists of things that they need to do to move forward in life, things they want to do. But I get emails all the time from guys who are like, you know, I just I can't get motivated to to do these things I, I know I need to do. So the question is, like, what does the research say? How do we how do we get motivated to do the things we want to do or know we need to do? Well, it, it's a, it's an, it is a fundamental question, right? Because in many ways, if you think about what what productivity, what a productive life looks like. It's not just having motivation for the big tasks. It's easy motivation for the small things that we have to do every day. So that when you sit down and you're at your desk and you've got 10 emails that you know you should respond to and you want to respond to, but it just seems so much easier to open up Facebook and kind of spend 15 minutes surfing on Facebook and fall, falling into the Facebook time warp. How do we, how do we effortlessly trigger that motivation to do the, the emails, to do 
the small things that success is built upon. Well, what the science tells us is that it's most easy to trigger our self-motivation when we can find a choice that makes us feel in control. So this actually comes from research that looks at a part of the brain known as the striatum, which is part of the basal ganglia. It's one of the oldest structures within our brain. And the striatum is where self-motivation originates. We know this from, from neurological studies, that when you trigger the striatum, it's much, much easier to feel a sense of motivation. And the thing that triggers the striatum is feeling like you're in control. So let's take the email example. If I'm sitting down, and, and this is what I do now, if I sit down and I have 10 emails that I know I really want to get, I really want to respond to, but, but you know, it's kind of a drag, right? It's like one of these small little things that you have to do throughout the day that's, that can, can eat away at your willpower muscle. What I do is I find ways to make myself feel in control about those emails. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll open up 10 responses on my screen, and I'll go through as fast as possible, and into each response, I'll type like a half sentence that simply asserts some preference or assert some type of control or lets me make a choice. So if someone's emailing me and they say, hey, do you want to have lunch tomorrow at, at 11 o'clock? I will, in the, in the reply, I'll type, sure, but I want to eat at an Indian restaurant. Or if they say, can you meet tomorrow at 3 o'clock? I'll say, sure, I can meet, but only for 20 minutes and let's do it in my office. And what I find is that once I've written down half a sentence that asserts some type of choice that allows me to feel in control about whatever I'm being asked to do, then it's really easy to go back and put in like the, the rest of the email, all the pleasantries. Hey, Jim, thanks for your email. Sure, I'll meet tomorrow at 3 o'clock, but only for 20 minutes. Let's do it in my office, period. Thanks, Charles. And then I hit send. And, and I can actually look at the choice I made and make sure that it's the right choice. Maybe, maybe meeting in my office isn't the best idea. Maybe I want to meet in his office or I want to do something else. Or I want to say, no, I don't have any time to meet with you. But the point is that by just asserting a choice, by finding some – by turning a chore into a decision, I'm able to trigger that self-motivation. And it's much, much easier to get through all those small little niggling tasks because I found something in it that allows me to feel like I'm in control. So act, don't be acted upon. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And more importantly, find some way to, make, to prove to yourself that you are acting, right? So that instead of just replying to emails, what you're doing is you're asserting your preferences. It, the other part of this, though, is that for things that, that really matter, right, for the things that it's hard to motivate for, we know that the way to trigger motivation is not only turning a chore into a choice, but also looking for something that's really meaningful, somehow connecting this task to a bigger, more important goal in our own minds. And one of my favorite examples of this is, is when I was doing research for Smarter, Faster, Better, I talked to a cancer researcher, and, and he's a professor at a university, and he said his least favorite activity was grading students' papers. He just hated grading students' papers. It's super boring. And he always had trouble motivating for it. And so what he would do is that each night when he would sit down to grade students' papers, before he started, he would say to himself this little mantra that would go, if I grade the students' papers, then the university can charge them tuition. And if they charge them tuition, the university gets the money it needs to fund my research. And if they fund my research, I get to do the work that I love, and I get to save people's lives. So, I mean, this is a guy with a PhD in genetics and oncology, right? It doesn't seem like he's the type of guy who should have to remind himself of why what he's doing is important. But what we know is that it's so easy for our brain to turn off, to become reactive, to stop thinking, that by just sort of repeating that mantra to himself, he found it much easier to start grading. He became enthusiastic about grading. 
And we can all find ways to do that in our life, to say, to basically to ask ourselves the question, why? Why am I replying to these emails? Why am I getting up and going to work today? Why am I you know, sitting down with my kid and doing this like long, boring project and helping them write some story? If we link that to something that's more meaningful, our, our deepest goals, which is to raise good children or to provide for our families or to, to, to do work that's important, it's much easier to motivate ourselves and to find the enthusiasm to keep going. And it sounds also, too, in the way you wrote about self-motivation, that I think a lot of people have this idea that self-motivation is this sort of ephemeral thing that, you know, if you read a, an inspiring quote on Instagram, that will get you motivated. But the way you're portraying motivation, it's more of a skill that you have to develop over time. And you can actually develop motivation muscles as you exercise choices to get you motivated. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So, so if you read a great quote on, on, on the web and it motivates you, that's fantastic. But that quote's probably only going to work once or twice, right? What we're really looking for is how do we motivate ourselves over time? And you're exactly right. It is a muscle. It's a skill. We can, get, we can learn self-motivation. And in fact, the U.S. Marines have built their entire boot camp to teach self-motivation. The way that we learn it is by practicing it. And it gets bet, we get better and better, and it gets easier and easier the more and more we learn how to see chores as choices, how to connect what we're doing to something that's bigger and more meaningful. And you talk about, too, in the book that this skill of self-motivation, it's becoming an increasingly important skill in today's economy. Why so? Absolutely. Well, because we're living in this economy where sort of self-motivation is a critical component for the jobs that most people have. It, you know, our grandparents, our grandparents tended to work in places where they had a boss who told them exactly what to do. If you were on an assembly line, you didn't really have to have that much motivation because every three minutes a new widget would come along and all you had to do was react to it. But in today's economy, in today's economy, almost half of the people out there, they don't have bosses, right? They're either independent contractors or they, they're in the, the, the so-called sharing or gig economy, or they're people who have been hired as creatives and they've been put in offices where they're told, here's the end goal that we want to get to, but the way that we get there, you need to figure that out on your own. That takes someone being self-motivated, coming in and saying, I have a three or four month project in front of me. I need to figure out what to, date, what to do this morning and get motivated to make it happen because there's a hundred steps between today and being done. And the people who, are, who succeed best in that environment are the people who know how to motivate themselves, who know how to get themselves fired up and ready to go. And that's really about understanding how your brain works and finding these choices that make you feel like you're in control. Um, so your next chapter is about focus. And I think this is something that people today, they, they, they're very hyper aware that they have focus problems. Because like you said, we, you know, we, we had the best intentions of getting started on a project going, then we get taken down this Facebook, Instagram wormhole. And then, you know, th an hour passes by and we're like, we haven't done anything. And I, I think it's interesting that you make the case in the book, it's sort of counterintuitive that we have all these tools at our disposal that allow us to automate so that we have more time to focus on the things that we we think we should be focusing on. But you argue that these tools can often decrease or increase in distraction instead of decreasing distra distraction. Uh, can you explain that? 
Yeah, well, I think anyone who um, anyone who has a smartphone in their in their pocket or their palm as they're listening to this knows exactly how true that is, right? I mean, if the idea of having email in smartphones was that it was going to decrease the distractions in our life, then 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 the technology has failed miserably because <laughs> because all of us have had that experience where you're you're you know sitting you're sitting at dinner with your kids or you're in the middle of something and you feel that buzz in your pocket and all of a sudden you find yourself pulling the phone out without even thinking about it and looking at what whatever email you just received this is one of the things that we know about how our attention works is that when we're surrounded by automation, when we're surrounded by these labor-saving devices, we tend more easily to fall into a reactive mindset. And in the book, we tell this through the story of these two airplane, um, airplane disasters. One, a tragic, completely avoidable crash, and the other, the worst mid-air mechanical disaster in history, which ended up with the pilots landing the plane with no casualties whatsoever. And the difference between the two situations was how the pilots managed their attention, how they managed their focus. When the plane crashed, the pilots essentially had no control over their focus. They would, they would react to whatever information was around them. But the pilots who managed to land the plane safely, it's because they invested very heavily in building what's known as mental models. And we all do this to some degree. A mental model is essentially a story we tell ourselves about what we expect to occur. So when we get to work in the morning, we all have mental models about how we anticipate that day to go, right? We have a vague sense of what we expect to happen. And as a result, our brain is primed to pay attention to the things that we've already highlighted in this story that we've told ourselves, that, that, we, that we will pay more attention to the things we expect and we'll pay attention to the things that go awry in what we expect. And our brain will automatically screen out distractions that don't fit into the mental model. Now, the difference between the most productive people and everyone else is that the most productive people, they tend to build much more robust mental models than other folks. So one of the things that, for instance, the best CEOs do, or that most CEOs do actually, the reason they become CEOs, is that they tend to have some type of practice or routine or habit in their day where they imagine their day with a certain amount of specificity. They, they tend to visualize on an hour-by-hour -hour basis what their day is going to be like. One, one CEO that I admire in particular, a guy named Richard Plepler, who's the CEO of HBO, he tells me that every morning he prays. And I asked him about this. I was like, well, I didn't realize that you were a very religious guy. And he said, no, no, I'm not religious at all, actually. But this practice of prayer every morning what I do is it helps me kind of visualize the day, like to figure out what's my top goal for today? How do I expect like that morning meeting to go? Let me play it out a little bit in my brain. What, what do I want to get accomplished between 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock so that I know when I go into the afternoon, I'm ready for whatever that might bring? In other words, he, just, he only spends 15 minutes doing this, but he basically tries to, to encourage himself to visualize with some degree of specificity exactly how that day is going to unfold. And as a result, when some type of potential distraction comes up, he can much more quickly say, no, 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 don't talk to me about that today, right? I, I understand that you have something you want to you talk to me about, but I'm going to put it off till tomorrow because 
my mental model, my, the story I'm telling myself of this morning, it's that I need to focus on this meeting that's coming up. And so I'm not, I, I need you to wait until this afternoon or tomorrow to talk to me about this thing that you want to discuss. He, now, now, a mental model isn't a fail-safe, right? It, it doesn't mean that we are slavish to that, to that story inside our head, because if some emergency occurs, if something really important pops up, then Richard or anyone else wants to say, oh, actually, I'm going to adjust my mental model. This is important enough that I need to deviate from the story inside my head. I need to come up with a new story. But the point is that Richard has the ability to choose what he is focusing on. Because he has this mental model, our brain needs some type of script to determine what we pay attention to and what we ignore through a choice rather than simply reacting. If you don't have that script inside your head, then every time someone comes into your office and they say, I got to talk to you right now, you say, oh, okay, okay, come on in. I'm going to put aside everything else. Or every time you feel kind of tired and you don't know what to do next, you go to Facebook rather than taking the next step in your plan because you don't have a script in your head that tells you this is what you should do next. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. 
Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter Smart Technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the Masterclass on Negotiation with Chris Voss. Yeah, I love the concept of mental models. We've written a lot about it on the site. Um, I was introduced to it after researching about John Boyd, the Air Force uh, colonel who developed the, the OODA loop. I don't know if you're... Yeah, it's, and the OODA loop is a fantastic structure for building a mental model, right? It's a way for forcing you to tell yourself a story about being in a dogfight at this particular moment and what you should pay attention to and what you can ignore. Right. Um, so you talk about goal setting, and I think that's something that everyone everyone sets goals for themselves, and it's become an article of faith in the you know the self improvement productivity world that you need to set smart goals. You know, and that's an acronym for I guess it's specific, measurable. I, I forgot what the A stands achievable, for. Achievable, yeah. re- achievable, realistic, and timely. Or right. Has a timeline. So you know, you set goals like I will lose ten pounds by October thirty first, two thousand whatever. Um, but you argue in the book that smart goals are useful, but sometimes they can actually prevent you from reaching your goals. So um, what's a better way of going about, or I guess we're thinking meta here, what's the the the, the $30,000, or not 30,000, 30,000 feet view of how we should be setting goals? Well, so, it, and we can actually make it less meta. We can make it very specific because we can talk about to-do lists. So you're exactly right. We know that systems that force us to take a goal and break it into a plan are really, really useful. And so one of the things that people should do is they should use a system like smart goals or, or something similar to that to take the goal and make it into an actual plan. The problem with that is that a plan can be so enticing because it tells us what to do next, that we stop asking ourselves if we ought to be doing that thing in the first place at all. And so what psychologists say is they say, in addition to having smart goals, you should also have a stretch goal. You should also know what is your biggest ambition, your biggest ambition for today or for this week or for this month. What is the thing that is most important to you that maybe you don't have an immediate plan for, but that you want to remind yourself constantly is your top priority. 
And then the question is, okay, so I have this smart goal. I have these, this stretch goal, right? This big thing that I want to get done today and this big thing I want to get done this week or this month. And then I have a smart, a smart goal or a smart plan for the first step. How do, I, how do I arrange those so that I'm reminded of both of them? And this is where to-do lists come, come into play. Most of us use to-do lists as simply a memory aid. We write down a bunch of tasks. And if people are anything like me, what they do is they write down the easiest tasks at the top of the page. You know, they, sometimes I actually used to write down things that I had already done because it felt so good when I sat down <laughs> on my desk to start cross something off, right. right? And when I talked to psychologists about this, the, what they said is that's not using a to-do list for productivity. That's using a to-do list for mood repair. That's using it to make yourself feel better. What you really want is you want a to-do list not only to be a memory aid, but to also be something that forces you to think about your priorities, that forces you to ask yourself, am I doing the most important thing right now? Am I doing the thing that's going to get me closest to my biggest goal? And so what they recommend is that at the top of your page, you write down your stretch goal. You put it across in big capital letters across the top of your to-do list. This is my most important goal for today and for this week. And then under that, you go ahead and you write your SMART plan, right? You write your SMART goals. You break that big goal into steps, and you write down what the first step is and exactly how you're going to get it done. But the point is that when you look at that to-do list, you're being reminded of your big goal alongside this plan. And more importantly, that you rewrite that to-do list every morning. Because by doing so, by rewriting your stretch goal at the top of your page, you kind of have to stop and ask yourself, is this really still my stretch goal? Like, is what I did yesterday, does it get me closer to this or farther away? Is this the thing that I should be focused on today? Is it the biggest priority? Or have I learned something in the last 24 hours that tells me that another stretch goal is actually more important? What we want to do is we want to create systems that not only help us plan, that help us come up with some type of you know, tangible structure that tells us what to do next, but something that challenges us a little bit to think about, am I doing the things that are most important? Am I being productive or am I merely being busy because being busy feels so good? Right. It gives you those dopamine hits whenever you get to cross something off your, your checklist. That's exactly right. Yeah. Right. And I think it's interesting how much of your research about, you know, uh, productivity has come from the military. Cause in your chapter about smart goals, you discuss the Yom Kippur war where they they got in trouble because of smart goals. They got I guess it was like goal focus or goal lock and it That's exactly right. Yeah. The Yom Kippur War is one of the, the shining examples of a situation where there was so much evidence that that the enemies were about to attack Israel. And yet Israel ignored all of that because they were so focused on on basically feeling good, on feeling productive. They had said our goal is to make our, mili- our, our intelligence decision-making smooth, right? To, to not have to reconsider questions, to not have to reopen old debates. And we're so focused on that goal. We're so focused on, on the, the plans of that goal and operationalizing that, that, that objective that we stop paying attention to the evidence that we're, that we're looking at the wrong thing. So we stop paying attention to evidence that we ought to reopen old debates. We ought to be more paranoid. We ought to, we ought to engage in more debate. And the way that you remind yourself of that is by having these systems that force you to stop 
and think. You know, the truth of the matter is our brain is actually designed to be like this. Our brain is designed to, to, to love multitasking, to love being distracted. And evolutionarily, that's really, really important because 2,000 years ago, if you were someone who could plant crops and look for predators at the same time, you had a significant advantage over someone who could just plant crops or just look for predators. And so our brain loves distractions. It also loves feeling busy because when we feel busy, when we feel like we're checking things off our to-do list, it feels like we're accomplishing stuff, something. But as a result, it's very, very easy to get into this mindset where we stop thinking. We simply react against our email. We react against our to-do list. We react against our calendar or people coming in and asking us to do things. We stop thinking because thinking is hard. And because all of us have these very busy lives where it's just hard to carve out the time to sit down and say, am I doing the right things? But, but the most important part of life is actually thinking, right? Thinking ha- is and always has been the killer app for productivity. And so productive people, they don't, they don't pretend that they're just going to think automatically. Instead, what they do is they try and carve out systems in their life that forces them to think a little bit, right? They, much like Richard Plepler, they take 15 minutes every morning to just think about their day. Or they write to-do lists in a way that force them to think about their priorities. Or they, you know, there's all types of systems that people use. Mm-hmm. They, um, they, enga- they have a, a habit of engaging in debate with their friends about what the right path forward is. Because they know that having a little bit of debate with your friends will force you to think about whether you're making good choices or not. Or when they're making decisions, they force themselves to think about multiple outcomes, what's known as probabilistic thinking. Because they know that by by having to think through at least three or four outcomes, outcomes that might contradict with each other, that that's going to force them to really think about which one is more or less likely to occur. The most productive people, the only real difference is that they have systems that push themselves to think half an inch deeper. But that half an inch, it makes all the difference. Yeah, it reminds me of a – I'm a big fan of Charlie Munger. Um, yeah. The guy at Berkshire Hathaway. And he's really big on that of just developing systems, mental models that help you think better. And I think even even Warren Buffett says like, it's been, he spends most of his time just thinking and reading and – makes very few decisions because the decisions he makes, like he knows that's the thing he needs to do. And, and I, I don't think anyone would argue that um, Charlie Munger or Warren Buffett are not productive individuals, right? <laughs> but what they're not doing is they're not focused on turning out widgets. Instead, they're focused on giving themselves the space and time to make the right decision. And this, this gets to kind of a tension that most people don't really recognize exists in t- contemporary life, which is the tension between productivity and efficiency. All of the things that we've talked about, they are not necessarily efficient, right? Taking 15 minutes in the morning to like tell yourself a story about the day that's about to occur, getting into debates with your friends, that is not efficient. Like if you wanted to produce as many widgets as possible, you would not do either of those things, but it is productive. Right, because productivity is about is about not having to make widgets in the first place. It's instead about figuring out how to build a widget factory, so that you don't even have to work at making the widgets. 
there's a tension oftentimes between productivity and efficiency, and we tend to make them synonymous in our mind. But the people who can kind of take a step back and say, this thing I'm about to do, it might not be efficient in the short run, but it is going to be incredibly productive over time. Those are the people who end up being most successful. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, Charles, I mean, you, you did a lot of research, you wrote the book on how to be more productive. Are you still implementing the things you learned while writing this book or are you struggling with some of them? Uh, so I implement, so, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I implement all of them and I continue to struggle with them because the struggle is kind of the point, right? The, the whole point of, of all of these techniques is to force ourselves to think. And that means that that we have to force ourselves to think that, that we have to sometimes take a step back and say, you know, I made all these decisions yesterday. Did I actually think about those decisions or did I just react? So no, I would say the techniques in the book, they've been hugely, they have improved my productivity significantly. My life has much less stress now. It has, it's much more easy to get things done. It's much more easy to self-motivate. It's much easier to, to ignore distractions because I have these practices, these contemplative routines, as they're known in the psychology literature, that make thinking easier and more automatic. But that doesn't necessarily mean – but it, they make things easier. They don't necessarily make me – they don't mean – that doesn't mean that my need to reconsider has disappeared. Because the whole point of these routines is to get me to think about what is productivity? What, what is most productive today and this week for me? How can I best use my time? Now, what it's done is it's removed the stress from that question because I feel much less busy. But it hasn't removed the need to actually think. And that's kind of the point is that, is that when you, to be really productive, when you talk to really successful people, what they say is, I've embraced that I need to be less busy and more thoughtful, but that's an ongoing process. It's a process that we always work at, and it's a great process. It feels really good to think, but it's a process that you can't just say, I'm going to put it on autopilot. Instead, you find routines that push you to think and ask yourself, what are my most important goals? Am I, am I making choices that get me closer to those goals? Am I sharpening my focus by building a mental model of who I really want to be? And once you do that, that's actually when, when everything starts coming together. Right. So it's, you got to be intentional and you can never stop. You can never stop. And it does get easier because of habit, right? I think that, okay. that the nice thing about these contemplative routines is that they become habitual. But that doesn't mean that we let the habit take over. That means that we've developed a habit that pushes us to think. Great. Well, Charles, we just scratched the surface uh, of your book. There's so much more we could delve deeper into. Uh, but where can people learn more about uh, Smarter, Faster, Better? They can, um, they can come to my website, charlesduhig.com, or they can buy the book online at Amazon or any other um, Barnes & Noble or any retailer or their local um, bookstore, which is a great way to go buy it. And, um, and I also mentioned my email address is charles at charlesduhig.com. I would love to hear anyone's thoughts on Smarter, Faster, Better or The Power of Habit and, um, and, learn, and learn how they improve their productivity um, because I, I find that every time I hear from, from someone, I learn a new way to force myself to think a little bit more. 
Fantastic. Well, Charles Duhigg, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. My guest today was Charles Duhigg. He's the author of the book Smarter, Faster, Better, and that's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Also, check out his website at charlesduhigg.com, and be sure to check out the show notes of our of this podcast at aom.is/duhigg, and it's D-U-H-I-G-G. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show, I'd appreciate it if you give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It'll help spread the word about the show. As always, I appreciate your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.